My guest today is the head of sales at Lisup, and here's what some of his colleagues say about him. David has been my rebel coach for just a few months, and the difference in my pipeline is night and day. Here's a second. David is a leader who knows the way, goes the way, and shows the way. David Weiss, you're very welcome to the podcast. Paul, thanks for having me on, and I'm, I'm really glad all the... Um money I've given people over the years to, to say nice things about me is, is coming full circle here. So it's, it's fantastic. Do you have to give money back to the people though, who I didn't choose because there were so many in the same vein. And it was actually quite interesting reading through those on your own LinkedIn profile yeah. was that there's, there, there was something that I, I, I got from it that I haven't experienced before. There was an energy in the comments. That sounds like a really weird thing to say, but there was an energy. It wasn't intellectual in nature. There was something about it. And I want to talk to you about that. But before we do, before we go there, maybe we could go back a little bit further in time. Tell me yeah. where you grew up and, and what that was like. And I think that's because I'm not very smart. So people can't say smart things about me, but I bring a lot of energy to everything I do. So it's, it's something along those lines. Anyways. David, um, I, I, I have said for a long time, the moment somebody says, I'm not very smart, watch your step. You're dealing with somebody who's very smart. It's a fact. Because nobody, nobody who's not smart would ever say that. Anyhow, tell me, um, about, tell me, tell me about your background. Yeah, so background, um, uh, uh, grew, I mean, shoot, we're, we're going back. Okay, uh, so I grew up in Boston. Um, okay. uh, both my parents were, my, my mom had a, her PhD in, in OD psych, um, Consulted with you know some of the top names with uh, like Deloitte, McKinsey, and all those guys. She actually trained their consultants. Um, my my dad was a you know senior HR leader, so I, I grew up. Uh, yeah. I was no so that that's why you're not smart because neither of your parents were smart. Now it makes sense. So okay. I, I, I I grew up as an only child. Um, so I, I like to think I've I've been um, you know indoctrinated into business for like forty years um, because I, I I've spent my entire life um, around business people. Um, so. Uh, that also caused me to be a pain in the ass and, and get in a lot of trouble because I never really respected or listened to authority because I, I grew up an adult um, with adults. So um, not respecting other adults because uh, I didn't know better. Um, still kind of don't know better. So anyways, um, uh, uh, grew up in Boston, um, went to uh, three different boarding schools, um, lots of trials and tribulations in my youth, um, lots of trials and tribulations even now. But anyways, um, uh, school in New York, so I went to college in New York. Um, two degrees, one in uh, one in business, one in psychology. Um, wanted to go get my PhD and, and you know be a, a psychologist and all that. Um, my parents cut me off and they said, okay, now that we've got your undergrad, you need to go uh, pay for the rest of your schooling. And I said, no, nah, I think I'm going to do something different. Um, so I decided to you know go into sales. Uh, I've done sales throughout my life. Um, I built and sold computers when I was literally 16 years old. Um, I then did retail sales throughout college. So I was like, oh, you know, I know a thing or two about this. I have a business degree. Um, let's just kind of, you know, go explore this career path. And um, that was almost 20 years ago. Um, and it's been a blast. I've had a lot of fun with it. Um, failed a ton, learned a lot. So, yeah, excited to unpack all that. But that's, that's a little bit of my story. You took the words out of my mouth. I was, I was thinking just as you said that there's so much there to unpack. And so let's let's dive in uh, in no particular order. You mentioned trials and tribulations. Talk to me about that. Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, I uh, 
I, I naturally have ADHD. Um, so, and, and I always had a, um, uh, unnatural disdain for people telling me what to do. Um, so, uh, a, a lot of, um, a, a lot of my childhood and just growing up, um, I was very rebellious by nature. Um, and I've, it took me, oh shit, the first 20 years of my life to actually learn um, that I needed to, you know, play the proverbial life game um, to be able to get ahead. Um, and I still struggle with that. I still like fighting authority and I still like challenging status quo. And um, I think it's one of the things that's made me, a, you know, a, a great seller when I was selling is that um, I, I'm a change agent by just getting out of bed. Um, I, I look at the world and I say, I want to make it a better place. If I see a problem, I want to solve it. Um, I'm naturally curious. I just I want to challenge everything and everybody to do something different. If I think it sh something should be different, um, as I've matured and got into leadership, um, that requires a, a little bit more um, finesse uh, mm -hmm. and, a, and a little bit more um, you know politicking. And I hate politicking, but it's it's reality. Um, and then I've had to learn how to uh, temper that. And, and also get more done through others uh, as opposed to always trying to mm. change everything and everybody myself. Um, mm. So there, there's some interesting things there, but um, yeah, that's, that, that was a lot of those trials and tribulations. And you know, that, that had me um, going to boarding schools and, and my parents mm. kicking me out of the house and you know, having to having defend for myself a little bit and learn the ways of the world, so yeah. Rebelliousness, uh, nature and nurture, where do you think it comes from in you? Um, nature versus nurture rebelliousness. Um, I, I definitely think that comes from, you know, both of my parents, um, but my, my mom probably, especially she, um, uh, being, being a woman in her generation, getting a PhD and then, you know, going on to, you know, train Deloitte consultants, um, you know, as a female back in the, oh shoot, it was the, um, 40s uh, she was in the, in the 70s 60s and 70s mm, mm. like that's that that was a, a very male dominated field and um she was an incredibly strong person to go out there and just beat the shit out of the mm. world and that kind of thing mm. and um she made a lot of herself um so so yeah i think a lot of that probably comes from my mother mm. that said i would good my wife tells me as well and, and i've had that feedback that i'm quite rebellious uh and so a lot of what you said resonated with me in terms of pushing back all the time and like if it, if, it, if it ain't broke, break it type of mentality. Um, but my parents were quite conservative. My father was a teacher. My mother worked in a bookshop. Um, okay. So I, I, that's, that's why I've, I'm, I'm fascinated by the idea. And I, I don't know. My wife says it's nature. I'm not sure. I don't know. But uh, it, it's an interesting question. Anyhow, um, boarding school more on, on nurture <laughs> yeah okay and and again you you're an only child and that that has its own characteristics i'm not i'm one of five and i'm the second youngest so it's funny it's it's anyway it it's for another day i think to solve that one if it's possible yeah. even um you you mentioned boarding school and i'm always curious my wife went to boarding school and i never did um, what was that like and how do you think it's influenced who you are today? Um, you know, boarding school is okay. Um, it kind of, it kind of forces you to, uh, there, there's, you're, you're, you never get to, um, there's no escape. 
So like you get school, you go home. Home is, is your, your escape. Um, boarding school, it's you're around the same people all the time, no matter what. So again, politics, interpersonal relationships, a lot of things start coming into play because you mm. there there is never there's never you know any anything else. Um, so definitely an interesting environment. Um, learned a lot. Uh, I still have a lifelong friend from it. Um, my my friend Jonathan, uh, we were we were high school roommates, um, and we were we do business ventures together. We our families travel together. We've got kids about the same age. Um, he's done really well for himself, and very proud of him. Um, so it, it's been cool watching him grow up and and see how we've both kind of grown in our lives um, from when we were both you know dumb kids. We're now we're just dumb adults, but um, you know it was a uh, it was a lot of fun. So um, I enjoyed it. Uh, would I have maybe preferred to, to be mainstreamed and had it a little different? You know, who knows? Um, probably. Um, but, uh, it was, it was a good experience and I've made some lifelong mm. friends. Yeah. Mm. I'm interested. You use a number of times now we're only a few minutes into this chat and you played down quite a bit yourself. You're quite self-deprecating. And I'm wondering, is is that a defense strategy? No, no it, I'm just I'm just curious. Is it a defense? Is it to put others at ease, or is it for yourself? Um, interesting question. Let's go to. Um, uh, I. It might be myself. It might be others. I don't know. I haven't thought about it. I'm gonna put some thought into that. Um, okay. I think I think it's probably more. Um, I don't like to take myself too seriously. Um, mm. I think uh, I think it's important to just, um, if you're going to do something, have fun while you're doing it. Yeah. Something I've noticed as well, and it's, it's, it's certainly true, very true, well, I can't say that. I feel it is. In people who have gone to boarding school is that they're very good at getting on with other people. Because they have, you mentioned, you're with them 24 hours a day. And it's a, it's, you develop these survival instincts. And one of those is, I feel safe when others around me uh, like me, and you, you learn a lot of strategies and tactics that are very subtle but very powerful. And I, I, I'm just wondering if, if that's where it came from, or were you just always like that? Uh, no, I mean, I'm sure there's it, always like that, probably not. Um, it's the things you learn over the years to like get along within, you know, different mm. groups, things like that, make other people at ease, you know, make it easy, mm. low friction to start you know, building relationships. Mm. Yeah, I'm sure that it comes from there. Mm. I do want to talk about sales and coaching in a moment, I promise you. It's just, your, your, your just initial introduction was so fascinating to me. I really wanted to, to and I'm curious about it. And I'm curious about the only child thing as well because I don't know if you've ever read the book, uh, Birth Order. I, I found that whole book fascinating in terms of how people's birth order can affect their personality. And there's a few things I remember from the book, but one of them was like, again, I, I might have the exact number wrong, but like out of the 23 Apollo astronauts, 22 of them were eldest children and one of them that was an only child. And then if you look at, it's an American book, so if you look at, it, it quotes a lot of American presidents uh, in terms of where they came in their family. And again, a lot of them eldest children and it's it what they say is that uh, eldest children tend to be uh, leaders or people pleasers and then firstborns or sorry uh, only children are, are, are that on steroids that's that's what i remember and i was just so i'm curious when i meet people 
and I guess I'm looking to either validate that or disprove it some way. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I would need to see the data and the research, but from what you just said, that's that's a really interesting. Uh, mm. That's a really interesting thought. I've never, I've never put a lot of being a child. I've put a lot of thought into um, the the order in which someone's born and and how that impacts the the rest of their lives. Um, yeah. But I, I could see I could see some natural tendency though. If you are a a firstborn, there needs to be a a degree of one leadership because you're going to be helping shepherd in the ones after it um, mm. and also a degree of self-reliance because you're the firstborn everybody's going to look up to you but also as the next ones are born attention then goes from you to them so you need to kind of and there's no one ahead of you to tell mm. you so you now need to self-reliant learn teach others so i, I could I'm pulling out of my butt, but I, I, I think I could, I could see it. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. I, I certainly know my own experience in having three children that you, you, your, your anxiety is as parents and, and you're learning on the job with the first one. And then also what I know is like our eldest, when he was four, the next one came along and then when he was eight, the third. And it's when you're lying in bed on a Sunday morning and it's like, hey, Reem, would you look after your, your, your younger brother or your younger sister? And so there's a, but the younger ones don't tend to get that um, experience to the same. Now, again, huge generalizations, but it is interesting. It's, an, it's a fascinating area, um, partic particularly when you get into sales and in terms of how people, how structured and diligent they are and wh what sense of leadership they bring to their sales game versus those who are people pleasers, which you would appreciate can be quite debilitating in, in a salesperson. Sure. When it's there too much. Yep. Um, so talk to me about, I want to really want to get into sales as well and your, your experience there. So you said you spent a lot of time in, in, in retail throughout college. Uh, talk to me then about where, where it became serious for you. Yeah, I'd say it became serious for me. Um, uh, so after college, went to uh, joined a company called um, Kients. Uh, they sold... Um, uh, sensors for the automation of factories. So I spent you know, four or five months um, literally on the manufacturing floors of some of the biggest companies, um, helping, working with engineers to design um, where motion, um, object, color, height, you know, various types of triggers and sensors would go in these huge factories. Um, to make you know various things within the factories happen, um, and it was really cool, and and you know really you know triggered my kind of scientific side of my brain. Um, mm. they, the interesting thing about Kiens is that it was very much a product trade organization, um, uh, led by the the Japanese. Um, no real uh, sales training, so mm. um, I burnt out really quick because I had the entire state of New York and New Jersey. And I was, you know, one person living in upstate New York, um, and I was traveling, you know, oh God, four or five hundred miles a week, um, and I was just, I got burnt out very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. um, I never learned things that that I know now, but then, like, like time and territory management, and how to, like, you know, um, look at, you know, different and, and grid out your space and build appointments around it, and all those things. I didn't, I didn't learn any of that, so I was just like mm -hmm. all, all over the place all the time, um, and it. it Although fun work, um, 
I didn't really learn how to sell, and I, I wasn't that successful at it because of that. Um, so I was like, okay, this isn't for me. Four or five months into it, I really wasn't learning anything about selling. Um, I, I, the, the side of my brain around like engineering and things like that was, was triggered, but eh, it, it just there's something was missing. So um, as an entrepreneurial kid, I said, okay, if I really want to learn how to sell, I need to go work, and I kind of innately felt this. I need to go work for a company that teaches how to sell, and mm. that is sales training. So at the time, um, there was a magazine called Selling Power Magazine, mm. um, and uh, I read that magazine. I did a, I think it was an Alta Vista search at the time. Google didn't even, Google wasn't a thing. It was Alta Vista. Did an Alta Vista search, you know, best company to sell for, Selling Power came up, um, and I applied to every single company on uh, all 50 on the list. And um, wow. I got calls back from uh, Clear Channel and from Aramark. And I said, okay, I really can't go wrong. I interviewed with both. Aramark was paying me a little bit better and I really liked their training program. Clear mm. Channel was way more sexy. It was, um, it was selling advertising. Um, mm. Aramark was selling floor mats and, um, and towels and uniforms. Um, okay. But I, I decided I made a choice right there. I said, it didn't matter what I was selling. I needed to learn how to sell. So um, I, uh, I went to Aramark and I spent uh, about four years there. And mm-hmm. uh, they were very good at professional selling. They had you know, full training programs and mentorships and you know, all these things and they really taught the fundamentals. And um, I leaned in really hard there. Um, and then about four years into that gig, a, uh, I got a call from, um, a leader at career builder and he uh you know um, we both lived in houston um and uh, i was starting to get on on linkedin and into all that stuff and uh he gave me a call i was like hey I, I love people who come from aramark that join our business because they 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 work hard they know these things like they practice the fundamentals mm-hmm. and he said david i'm going to take you up from the manufacturing floor to the boardroom now this was this was 10, no, wait, hold on. Yeah, this was 11, 12 years ago um, that that happened. And I, I still mm. remember that line. Uh, and that's when I got more into uh, career builders also on the list of, of selling power. But they, they're very much SaaS, professional selling, enterprise type stuff. Like that's when I really mm. got into real sales. Um, yeah, and I'm going to stop there because I've said too much. But that, that's kind of when it got real serious for me is right, right around then. What I'm interested in that is your philosophies on selling. Clear to me in reading through the testimonials and recommendations you have on LinkedIn is that people see you as somebody who is a thought leader who has real insight into professional selling. And so I'd like to spend some time on that if you were to kind of say to me, look, here, here, here are my core philosophies. If somebody's coming through my organization, here's what they're going to learn about. Here's what great selling looks like. That's what I'd yeah. like to talk to you about. Sure. And, and Aramark taught me that, Career Builder taught me that. But honestly, every, every job, whether it's sales or leadership, um, has taught me this. And it's mm. we need to take our craft seriously. And that, that's probably one of my biggest takeaways is, is um, I, I look at, at sales as the professional athletes of the business world. And when you think about what do professional athletes do, they, they, they do all the things that uh, normal 
you know, mere humans like, you know, you and me, um, don't want to do, can't do, choose not to do. Um, great sellers go the extra mile. They, they, they wake up early and they practice. They watch game tape. Um, they take the craft seriously. They're, they constantly read, surround themselves with other great athletes, other great people. Um, they just, they do all the thing like they, all the things that people talk about, they're mm. the ones actually doing them. And so like, that's one of the core philosophies there is just really taking the craft seriously, treating it accordingly, and then doing all, all the things that flow under that. Um, when I, when I break down some key things and, um, I, it's funny, I wrote a LinkedIn post about this this morning. Um, great sellers create unfair advantages for themselves um, by working harder, smarter, and put, they just put in the time. Um, but it's things like, um, are they watching you know, every single gong call in the freaking system to understand and doing it every day and spending time there to understand what, what people that are winning are saying and doing and how they're handling objections and positioning and all that stuff. They're, they're building, you know, really good territory plans and they're not just, it's just not willy nilly. They're, they're tiering their accounts. Um, they're applying different methodologies and systems to the tiers. Um, they know the different personas they need to speak to and what the problems it solves for one and they're building messaging for each of those. Um, they are uh, using systems and processes to understand gaps in their deals and find blind spots to then go do something about them. They're leaning into their leadership. They're leaning into their team. They're not lone wolfing. It is very much a team sport, um, and they're bringing the village at the right times and making sure everyone's ready to play their part. Um, they're you know practicing with their boss. They're they're leveraging you know the the best people around them to make them better like they're just they're just doing like i'm not saying anything new but they're the ones actually doing those behaviors and and spending the time to and taking it seriously to go achieve those things what are some of the tools processes that you use when you're coaching people um so have you ever heard of situational leadership yes yeah, so Ken, Ken Blanchard pioneered it a mm. um, handful of, like, many years ago. And um, I've been, I was trained on it at ADP, um, in ADP's Leadership Development Program, which is one of the best in the world. Um, and I, I, I learned a lot there. And one of the things that uh, the whole concept behind situational leadership is showing up as the leader the person needs. Now, there's a really mm. unique thing. It's not the leader you think they need. It's the leader they need. Um, and so you can form a hypothesis around what you think they need based on the skill and the task that needs to be mastered and where they are in their development of that skill. And mm -hmm. there's a concept of, you know, if they're a novice, it's high direction. If they're learning to be good, it's high direction with a little bit of flexibility. If they're already good at it, it's, uh, you know, the right level of questioning and autonomy. And if they're a master at it, just, Tell them, just commander's intent, take the hill, don't care how you do it, just go take the hill and tell me once the hill's taken and let me know if you need help. Mm. And it's, it's that thought. Now, where so many leaders make the mistake is they look at someone and they say, this person's good or bad, so it's black or white, or they treat everybody the same, or they make a very quick assessment and then become the leader they think they need, but they don't adapt. They don't change in the sense that if the person doesn't respond to their leadership, they change the style. 
they keep going and they often double down on, on the negative behavior and they create more of a rift. Great leaders can look at someone and say, okay, here's what I think you need. Do you agree? Is this type of leadership you're looking for? Is this how you want to be coached? Is this how you want to be approached? Is it, was what I just said helpful? What were you really looking for? Like they ask those questions and then they realign. So they get close to this person needs this for me. I'm showing up and I'm delivering that. And now you've got a relationship um, that is productive for the situation that needs to take place. And, and that is a easy thing to, for me to say and a incredibly tough skill to freaking learn. I can imagine. I can imagine because you, the, the, the point I found really interesting, you said it can't be the leader you think they need. But on the other side of the coin is people don't know what kind of leader they need when they need one. They don't know that either. They just know there's a dissonance. They're, they're, they're not quite there. Right. So what you're saying is this, this process of adapting, test, change, test, change, until you find there's this symbiosis between the two of you. Uh, if that's the right word even, but a, a, yeah. or a connection or, a, or a, a, an aha moment, whatever it is, that it, yeah, it's not a lookup table. It's an iterative process. Uh, iterative process, and you can often tell based on does the person feel engaged with the thing you just gave them? Mm. Like, yeah, there, there's an energy there. It, mm. Does the is did the energy between you two increase or decrease? Mm. If it increased, you showed up as the leader they need. If it decreased, mm. you didn't give them what they need, and yeah, you need yeah. to make. Um, yeah. and, and it's not the person needs to make a change. You need to make a change. Your, your job is to lead them. Um, and in order to lead them, they need to be willing to follow. <laughs> mm. But it's not just like sales. It's not just like the relationship between a seller and a prospect. It's not the prospect yeah. who has to change. You've got to adapt and you've got to test and figure out yeah. what they need and how, and how they need it. That, that's the mm. other really philosophy that I have is like, um, when I'm, when I'm teaching new sellers, or sorry, new leaders, how to lead. Normally what businesses do is they take the best seller in the organization and they promote them to a leader. Um, and then that seller tries to get them to, the people they're now leading, to do exactly what they did and make a bunch of mini-me's. And, the, and then all those sellers that work for that leader quit. Um, because they're like, this person's micromanaging me. This person's telling me what to do. This person's not giving me autonomy. They don't trust me. They just want me to be them. And no one wants to be somebody else. Some people do. But most people just want to be themselves and their happy selves. And they want help becoming themselves and being successful being yeah. them. Um, so uh, what, I'm te what I teach folks is, look, all those skills that made you a great seller, your discovery, your tailoring the message, your becoming the expert at your solution, your, you know, your, uh, all those things. I don't need to list them all. Um, Reset button, you're now a leader. Your new client is your people. Go do all those things again. Mm. Discovery on them. Mm. How to tailor the message to them. How to understand shifts and differences and things. Care about them like they like you used to care about your clients. You know, but you do all those things, people will, will love you, follow you, you'll create future leaders by the, the example that you're setting. Um, and I've had so many freaking terrible leaders in my life. Um, and I think uh, so many of those 
uh, experiences have uh, I've learned from them and, and they've taught me what not to do and, and um, I, I was that leader when I first started. I, I created a bunch of mini-me's and people freaking hated me and we delivered results because I was a super seller. I would go in and I would run deals for them and I would tell them all the things to do and you know but you know what I got burnt out being a leader because I was freaking in every single meeting across mm. 10 people so it's like no, oh, now I'm in 40 meetings a week mm. it's just like these unsustainable behaviors that that new leaders and, and people who don't learn real leadership you know take mm. on um, and it can be really hard but yeah those are those are some key things what motivates you most uh, seeing other people win that's a, yeah, do you know what, I, I, I've done now, you're I think my 152nd guest on the podcast and when I talk to leaders, the ones who I see as knowing their craft, being that servant leader, that situational leader, that's the, that's the number one answer. And, 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 and it's, 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 it's unequivocal, that's the thing that interests me. There's, like, I'll ask you a question and it's, you'll, you'll, sometimes, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll dwell on the question sometimes. But on that one, you didn't. It was just like that. That's, that's, it. that's interesting to me. Uh, who inspires you? Um, my eight-year-old son to be a better father. <laughs> um, he's amazing. I love the kid. Um, who inspired me? Uh, so, uh, uh, John Maxwell. Um, from a leadership perspective to me, like um, his stories and um, uh, the things he's done in leadership to me, like it just concepts of just like leadership currency and servant leadership and all those things. Mm. Uh, I've had some really great leaders in my life. Um, you know, Jeff Walker, Gregory Donovan, um, the, those people like great humans, great family people. Um, mm great, just great leaders. And so uh, when I see great leadership, that inspires me. And it's, it's, it's a lot of things that we're talking about. It's mm. like, they care, they care about you as the person. Uh, mm. Those are people that I, um, I really gravitate to. Um, and the people that just repel the hell out of me is anybody who treats me like a number. Um, yeah. And anything that way. Yeah. What traits in those individuals do you see that you try to integrate into your own life or build on? Yeah, it's a, and, and look, it's a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about. It's um, they, their goal in every conversation was to help me be the best version of me, um, and and that to me, like those are leaders I, I've I will follow, always follow, stay in touch with, um, and I'm always there for and try and do everything I can for them um, because they did everything they could for me. Um, and if you think about it, that's 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 what a relationship is. It's it's. A balance. It's a give and take. It's 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 real, um, and there's no difference. Yeah, there's a, a, a power dynamic with with leadership, um, and people need to respect you as a leader. You can't be someone's you know quote unquote friend. You need to sometimes make really tough decisions, but you can get really close to the line where. Um, and Jeff Walker did a fantastic job of this. Like you always knew he was he was the boss and he was the leader. Um, and he would never compromise his standing there. Um, like he wouldn't go out getting drunk and being stupid at, at 3 a.m. on the company party. Um, you know, he would leave us at 11 o'clock. He'd go out, he'd have some fun. When he realized that people were starting to get a little, guys, you guys, you guys go have a good night. 
Um, yeah. So there was always that line, and he never crossed it. Um, mm. But he got as close to it as possible, letting you know that you know he was there for you and cared about you, and you know did everything in his power to make sure he enabled your success. Um, mm. And and to me, those are those are leaders that you know that that's mm. that's what leadership looks like to me. Mm. Biggest lesson you've had to learn the hard way. Um, quit bad bosses very fast. Um, I have made decisions in my life for money and title and mm. compromised my own personal and emotional health um, working for abusive leaders. I've, uh, when leadership changes have happened, I've stayed with abusive leaders tr hoping to figure it out for up to a year. Um, it has always destroyed me as a person. It's always set me back. I've always digressed emotionally, mentally. Um, I've faced burnout. Um, I, I've felt and, and started behaving in ways that I didn't like for both the people I was leading as well as my own family. Um, there is true emotional tolls that, mm. that bad leaders put on their people. And it's one of the reasons I, stri I strive so hard to, um, to be a good leader for the folks that I lead mm -hmm. is that I've been on the other side. Mm. I've, seen, I've seen it even recently at previous jobs. And um, I need to, and I, I've committed to myself from this point on in my life, um, I will only ever work for good leaders. And mm. I, if I find one that's not good, it, it's a very quick decision. You describe the behavior as ab abusive. Could you help me understand what abusive behaviors are in that context? Yeah, no, sure. Um, you know, I, I've had leaders swear at me. Um, I've had leaders, um, uh, it, like, there's this concept of gaslighting, which is like always making you, you doubt, doubt yourself and feel like you're wrong, and even though you're not. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, 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 there's destructive lines of questioning <laughs> that some leaders can have on you, um, and, and, and the outcome of that is you feeling like you're like you're crazy or like um, you're not your self worth is diminished. Um, th those are abusive behaviors, and there are there are leaders that um, like for instance I, I I've had one uh, not too long ago that uh, didn't call me, didn't show up to one on ones, um, was was pretty much never present and would pop up every you know couple weeks to even couple months to do a pipeline review, then beat me up around all the things that I wasn't doing, um, and then disappear, and then mm. come up weeks later and say, you don't do this or this, or you haven't invited me to calls. And when I do did call that person, they didn't answer the phone. Um, if they answered the phone, they sounded annoyed that I was you know bugging them. Um, mm. and it, those are abusive behaviors um, in leadership. It doesn't need to be physical. I've never been physically abused by a leader, but those are emotional abuses um, that can really hurt, you know, one, your ability to be a frontline leader or second line leader um, and uh, hurt people personally. Um, and, mm. and those are that shouldn't be tolerated. I'm curious to know, and I'm, and I'm asking this because as I've already shared, I'm like this myself in terms of my own rebellious characteristics, is, is it harder to manage somebody who doesn't like being told what to do? Um, if you're a good leader, you're not telling people what to do. 
Like that's the whole point. You're you're if you've hired competent people in the first place, they don't need to be told what to do. If anything, mm. you kind of want them because they're in the trenches, mm. telling you what they think we need. <laughs> um, mm. I think it was Jobs that said we hire smart people not to tell them what to do, but so they can tell us what to do. Um, mm. I'm not saying that's always the case, but what should always be the case is I'm going to take the time to figure this out together. Mm. That should always yeah. be the case. There's there's never not enough time in the day to slow down for a second and try and figure something out together. Um, mm. Unless the person is saying, I am lost, I have no idea what to do, please, t please tell me what to do. Unless you're in that situation, which sometimes happens in the unknown, then fine, tell people what to do. They're asking for you to do that. But otherwise, it should never be in that situation. It should be, let's come mm. together as two capable people and figure this out. Mm. It's interesting because I, I love the HubSpot philosophy on this. Uh, I have been fortunate to have interviewed uh, Ed Barrett, who's their head of sales in EMEA, and Christian Kinnear, uh, who is global leader now in sales. And one thing they both said when I spoke to them was a core philosophy in there is use good judgment. And that's always stuck with me. I just thought that's a, a wonderfully, wonderful, a wonderfully simple concept but actually so powerful in terms of the autonomy and empowerment it gives to people whereby you're not telling them what to do, you're actually treating them like adults. And, and, are just, and, and maybe it's because of that rebellious spirit like you, the, the, the bosses where you might have struggled with are the ones who haven't figured that one out yet. They're, they feel their job yeah. is to tell everybody what to do. Yeah, oh, 100%. I, I beyond mm -hmm. struggle. And is that my own personality flaw to a point? Do I also think they need to be better? Uh, hell yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, I, I do think, and, and honestly, I think those are the folks that will continue to have turnover, will, and, and especially mm. as the world matures from, and I, I call it the sins of our fathers. There's um, the way people led in the past very much command and control. If they've grown up in leadership, that's all they've known. And if they continue to carry that through and realize that the world has not changed and the world has changed, um, mm -hmm. they will continue to struggle because people don't like and don't want command and control. Mm -hmm. they, they want uh, collaboration. Um, they want to be heard. Um, they want, to your point, you know, to mm -hmm. be treated like adults because they are, um, mm. and I feel like my generation, and, and, and hopefully, you know, I'm, I learned a lot of bad behaviors, and I've consciously chosen to change them, um, but I'm hoping my generation, and the, gen, and the generation of leadership that comes after me, um, you know, again, sins of the father, we're, we're not, we're no longer, you know, mirroring those behaviors, we're, you know, talk, we're doing the things that I'm talking about today. Mm. When I again look through the comments on LinkedIn, there's a lot of people there who you've personally coached and they speak about you as a, a wonderful coach who brings a lot to the game. And I read out one of them was about their pipeline was like night and day. What is it when you're coaching reps in their first couple of years, you see again and again and again that the paradigm shift they have to make or the lesson that they have they all have to learn not 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 so much those are the marginals everybody has their own thing but the the general lessons that they all 
that you see that they all need to get? Um, sales is art is a blend of art and science. Um, the art comes from your tone and your personality and your own unique way of looking at the world. This there there is science, and the science to me is. Um, and I, I was kind of talking about early, and you're mentioning you know prospecting, but it's like. Um, there, there's a tools component, there, there's a strategy component um, to this. Tools, if you're not using things like Outreach or Sales Loft, I'm an Outreach guy, so I believe I, I like it better. If you're not using the right tools, like if you don't have tools to do enrichment of data, if you don't have tools to understand you know, buyer intent, if you don't have tools to then you know, take action against that, uh, like an Outreach, um, you're, 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 frankly, you're living in the dark ages. You're just, you're doing things very, very hard on yourself and you'll never be at, at correct levels of productivity and inefficiency. So tools, then there's approach from an approach perspective. You can't take the, you can't attack your territory and just like start at a, go down to Z. Like you need to have a, a way of looking at your business and saying, uh, and, and Pareto has the Pareto law, 80, 20. 20% of your revenue, uh, sorry, 80% of your revenue is going to come from 20% of your accounts. So you got to figure out what 20% of those accounts are. And it's, and it's often very simple. Um, who's my ICP? Who are the biggest people in my ICP? Um, where do I have like competitors or success stories? Where do I see from a, a macro microeconomics perspective, you know, a need in the market and, and people with, you know, that are trying to solve a problem with discretionary funds because, you know, this is what their peers are doing or, or what the market is saying happen based on that. Like you're, you're, you're fact, you're looking at all of those factors and you're saying, okay, what accounts of mine fall into that? And those are, you know, if you've got a hundred accounts, it's typically your top 20. And then you say, okay, what accounts, maybe you're not perfect there, but there, there's five factors. And my, and my A accounts, my tier one accounts are all five. Which ones are like four out of five or three out of five? Oh, it's it's this bucket. Okay, cool. So now that's probably my top 50% of my accounts. All right. And then which ones are not? And that's everything else. And it's like, you're those. Then say to yourself, okay, for my A accounts, I want all the things everybody talks about. Deep personalization, drops. You know, lots of phone calls. You know, I, I know them better than they know themselves. It's like, it's that. Bs, a little bit less than that. Maybe a little less calls, a little less personalization, a little mm. bit more automation comes into the equation. C accounts, tier three accounts, automate the crap out of it. You just want them to know you're there and if they and the problems you solve and if they ever need you, give, them, give you a call. Um, so you're using the right tools. You're attacking your territory in the right way. Um, and then there's the every, all the other stuff that goes along with it, which is like doing the homework, doing the research, creating a hypothesis, reading the annual reports, you know, understanding their business, yada, yada, all the stuff everybody talks about. Mm. The thing that most people miss is that piece in the middle there because they just treat every account the same and they just, you know, make lots of calls and they just attack it. It's like, no, have a strategy, have an account plan, have a territory mm. plan, then mm. go do other stuff. Mm. What's your own personal definition of success? My personal definition of success? Mm. Being happy. <laughs> yeah. uh, Try to really, find that one. Hold on, hold on, hold on. It's really interesting. Um, when I was younger, it's, it was money. Money, 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 money. How much money yeah. can I make a year? 
if I was, I, I needed to W2 um, when I was much younger, hundred grand a year. And then it was like, I, then I W2'd like 250 grand. I was like, I need to W2 250 grand a year. Then I started W2ing like four or 500 grand a year. I'm like, if I'm not doing that, I'm not happy. And then I started doing six, seven, 800, you know, plus thousand a year. And I was like, okay, I've made enough money. One thing I found is as I was making more money, my level of happiness wasn't increasing. So then I said to myself, interesting. So money doesn't equal happiness. Money equals freedom. Money mm -hmm. equals the ability to do the things that I want to do when I want to do them. And if I run into a boss I don't like, to tell that person to go away and me go do something else. <laughs> That's what money allowed me to do. So yeah. today, you know, yeah, I've got a standard of living. But it, it, it would almost be hard for me not to hit that standard of living based on how I've set up my life. So it's no longer about the money. That will come. Mm -hmm. um, it's about to enjoy the work. Do I enjoy the people that I'm working with? Am I solving interesting problems? Um, am I excited to get out of bed every day and go fight for the people that I'm fighting with um, and for? Um, and then am I getting to spend time with my family and my friends? And do I have a, a healthy work-life balance? Like to me, that's success. Success is not a full calendar. Success is an empty calendar. Success is you know a calendar that has stuff on it that you enjoy. Um, mm. that, that to me is what it is. Cool. Two things I want to talk to you about in that. Yeah. Um, one you mentioned, I want to talk about the, the empty calendar and what you, have, what you have in it, the kind of things that you want to do in a moment. But you said something else about reps, what motivates you is seeing them flourish. Tell me what gives you a sense of accomplishment. Um, and I think we mentioned it's like it's seeing other people win. So when I'm working with a rep and uh we're talking about a strategy or a way to solve a problem or like hey david can you help me with this this is what i'm thinking what are you thinking and it's like hey this is really good how about we tweak a little bit of this and or, or mm. hey why don't we go try this it's like then they go do it and then they come back mm. and it's like that worked <laughs> it's like yeah. yes like that is amazing so like i have um one of my new folks who just started in the business um two months ago uh we had a client meeting yesterday and at the end of the client meeting we were talking about um, getting to the ultimate decision maker because she's a second level decision maker. We're talking about getting the ultimate one and we were leveraging her as a champion to get us to the ultimate one. Um, and afterward, and she was asking us about costs and things like that so she could kind of build her own business case to get to this person. And she sends us an email afterward and says, hey, um, I don't think we could spend this amount of money. I've got discretionary funds to spend this amount of money. I think if I go to this person and ask for this amount, they'll, they'll tell us no. Um, you know, uh, you know, I, I think we're at a standstill here and I'm like, Hey, just go pick up the phone and call her. And I was like, what, just go, just go talk to her about it. Try to reinforce the business case, see if we can get a win right now. And then also then build on that win for the future. Mm. And he picked up the phone and called her and she was like, Oh, wait a second. So you're saying I don't need to do it all right now. I can buy this amount from you right now. And then we can show it successful over the next, you know, couple months. And then we can go get this amount after. And I'm, and they were, and he was like, yeah. And she was like, can you send me a contract? <laughs> and, and he did. And she's going to sign it today or in the third mm. legal probably next week. Um, that's his quota for the next two months. Mm. Just the greatest gift. The, the greatest gift there though, is every time that rep, finds themselves in that situation, they know what to do and they will yeah. always do it. That's a lesson yeah. for life. Yeah. Mm. 
so it's just like those things those are the things that bring me just so much joy like you know and he's on a ramp quota it's not a ton of money but to him it's gonna like he's buying a house right he's gonna hit quota for two months he's buying a house that that's him redoing you know maybe his kitchen like it's Mm. amazing i was so like so freaking excited for him and there's you know, we, we could have delayed the deal for two, three months as we spent all this time building business cases to get incrementally more. But instead, it's like, oh, we're going to get that now. We're going to get mm. this now. And then we're going to get this later. Um, and it's going to happen organically because we're going to prove our worth and then grow. And mm. I don't know, like that, that just felt so good for him. If you couldn't do what you're doing, couldn't be in sales, couldn't be coaching people in sales, what would you yeah. like? To, and, and you didn't need to earn money. That's all taken care of. What would you like to do with your time? Uh, I would um, own a food truck on a uh, on a beach somewhere, um, and I would, you know, make people breakfast sandwiches and lunch, and then you know, uh, uh, fish and walk the beach and um, and relax. And uh, that that it's actually a little bit of the retirement plan. I um I my my spare time is spent. Uh, I live on the water today, but my spare time is spent, you know, cooking and and with family. And um, at some point. Uh, that, mm. that dream will You've still got the hustle in there. Oh, yeah, why is that? The, the, the food truck, I mean, it's okay, it's a minor one, but at the same time, you're still, you're still earning, you're still, you're still exchanging, you're still working mm. with customers. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, um, I, you like it? I, I enjoy it, and I, I, mm. like, I love cooking for people. Like, I love having parties and cooking for lots of people, and then everyone, like, you know, raving about it and all that. Like that just, that again, those things, it just brings me joy, so, yeah. Do you get a huge sense of energy from being with people? Um, yes, to a point. Mm. Uh, I, I, I have a very in- interesting extrovert, introverted nature about myself where, um, like when I'm at a conference or something like that, uh, after about, you know, eight hours I'm like I'm done I'm done being around people like leave me alone I just want to go sit in my room um same thing after a long day at work after a long day at work I just want to hang out on the couch um now people absolutely bring me energy um mm. and so I'm definitely an extrovert um but there there is a line for me like where where it's just like okay I'm done now I'm, I'm, I'm gonna go to yeah sleep. yeah that that resonates I think some people call them ambiverts but there's a sense of professionally, you're skilled at it, you know what to do, but at the end of the day, you need to recharge and you do that by being on your own or being quiet. Yeah, so that makes sense. Yeah. Um, what's, your, what's your wish for the future? Mm. In, 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 what, in what sense? I've got a lot of just, just in terms of the just in terms of the world that you want to be part of. Now I don't want to open that up too much. I'm not talking about the globe, but I'm talking about the the world you live in, and what way would you, if you could shape it, what would you do with it? Um, I mean, I, I've got to start family. Like, I want my wife to be successful in her work. I want my son to to live a happy life. I mean, that's. Mm without question. Um, and then I, I just, I want to do interesting things with interesting people. Um, like that, that would be my wish for myself personally. Um, mm. like one of the reasons I like, I'm, I really, I, this is my first head of sales role. 
Um, and I really like it because I get to work with our CEO every day. I get to work with product marketing every day. I get to um, work with uh, sellers on a strategic level to say, what what are the what are the processes, procedures, talk tracks, things that we can put in place that mm. are scalable? So as we grow mm. and we introduce a new person to the business, we can create this and repeat it. Um, mm. And though, like those, to me are really interesting problems, and I really mm. enjoy my team that that's around me right now. Um, so again, interesting problems with interesting people. Um, I like that. that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a nice way. Interesting problems with interesting people. That's a nice philosophy, actually. So, David, I'm desert island question for you then. You, you're going to get marooned. Don't know whether you're ever going to be rescued again. You can take one thing with you. What would it be? Did I know I was going to get marooned? <laughs> yeah, so you can take something with you. Yeah, yeah. You're going to be deported, <laughs> let's put it that way. <laughs> Yeah, who who gets marooned if they know they're going to be marooned? Could you imagine <laughs> it? <laughs> like I, I would try and solve that problem really fast. Um, yeah. Man, if I could take one thing with me, oh, it's a bit. See, I'd want to think about this for for you know quite a long time because I want to make sure that I can survive. Like mm. it would be you know, a, a fishing pole, a knife, a lighter. Um, you know, uh, uh, so, something that would enable me to be, you know, survive being marooned. Mm. That's the answer, by the way, because if you think about it, when I ask that question, I'm, I've only started to ask people that recently, and it's quite interesting where they go to. They'll either, it'll be either something practical, which is what you mentioned. It'll be something, my, my favorite, I want to say toy, but it could pass time, or it could be something that I enjoy. Could be maybe say doing crossword puzzles. I'm making that up, uh, or it could be somebody. Um, it, it's quite interesting though where where, where people go to first yeah. when they I, think I, that's going to happen. It wouldn't be somebody because yeah. I don't want, I don't want to put that person through being marooned, especially with that's me. That's interesting. But that's one thing. <laughs> um, two, um, I wouldn't want it to be a toy or like a crossword puzzle because frankly that's not going to help me. Like yeah, that's going to entertain yeah. me for a little bit. But yeah. I want to be spending my time not being entertained. I want to be spending my time getting off the fucking island. Get, getting off the island so you can get back to your crosswords. I got it. Right. <laughs> I would bring something that I that could save my life. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And final question then for you. When yeah. your time on this planet is done, how would you like to be remembered? Oh, man, as, as someone that, um, that, that gave to others and that was, you know, a good human. Um, mm. Yeah. Gave, gave to others That's is big. I've thought for a long time, like, what legacy do I want to leave? And yeah, of course, I want to be a good father and a good husband and et cetera. But I really want to be known as, um, of course, those things. But someone that's that's lifted others up and did a lot for, for, for other people. Mm. But that, that covers all of it in, in, in essence, because with our intimate partners, that's what we want to be doing. With our children, that's what we want to be doing as well and professionally. So it, it permeates all aspects, I think, if you bring that philosophy. And it's a, it's a wonderful philosophy to bring. Uh, because that's the only way I think that you can contribute positively. Well, it's not the only way, but it's it's one way that's within our control. Yep. Um, I guess if you had a ton of money and you could, or you could invent a cure for a disease, that would be another way. But that's not something everybody can do. Whereas yep. give, giving is. 
David Weiss, thank you so much for being my guest today. It's been an absolute pleasure and I've thoroughly enjoyed our chat. Thanks for having me, Paul. It's been a lot of fun, man. Appreciate you. My pleasure.